Well, hello and welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. Obviously, we've had a bit of a break here in episodes as the uh, COVID-19 pandemic continues to cause hell all over the place. Um, my original plan of doing this podcast of always, always having a guest um, actually in what you would call my studio, I guess. It's just my kitchen, but I like to call it a studio because it makes me feel professional. Um, has kind of gone sideways because obviously social distancing and travel and all those sorts of things. So this was the first real, I guess you could say, podcast that I did over Zoom. Um, so hopefully everything turns out well with it. Um, my guest was Shannon Myers, um, who's an old friend of mine. We went to uh, middle school together. We went to high school together. Um, have kind of kept in touch over the years thanks to social media and we put together a plan back in like June or July to when I was first conceiving of this podcast to have her on and um, it was always kind of one of those okay well when travel plans work out um, she lives in Iowa now um, but the hope was kind of at some point in time when she would be passing through the Freeport area heading back to visit family in Winnebago where we're from that we'd be able to link up um, but with the whole coronavirus thing happening, that looked like it was going to be less and less of a possibility happening anytime soon. So we talked and we hatched this plan to give it a try doing a podcast over Zoom. So recorded it over Zoom and over audio, um, literally just hooked the mic up to my computer. Um, so hopefully the audio turns out well. Uh, so this will be the first podcast that is audio and also I, if I can get everything to work here correctly, we'll also have a video up to the podcast. Um, I hope everybody enjoys it. Sure, again, her name is Shannon Meyer. She is known as the Integrative Counselor, and she has a very dynamic and refreshing approach to dealing with medical issues and trauma and different things of that nature. Um, I could go on and on trying to explain it. Instead, I'm just going to let her do it in the podcast. Um, but if you are sitting at home and you're wondering what to do with your time, one of the things I would highly recommend doing is checking out our sponsor, which is uh, Blackstar Woodcrafts. Um, you've heard me talk about the top of several podcasts. Um, it's owned and run by a guy named Scott, who's a good, good friend of mine. Um, he lives up in Michigan, and he does some absolutely excellent work. Um, a lot of the crafts that you can think of that are made of wood, he does. I've, I've seen his uh, cutting boards. I've seen bath caddies that he's done. He does really, really neat wood pens that just look freaking cool. Um, I've got a really neat bottle topper, like wine bottle stopper that uh, he made for me and my wife. Both the wedding bands that me and my wife have are made by him. They're really, really cool. It's a metal ring with a wood inlay that's engraved and polished and everything. It's really, really great. I highly, highly recommend checking him out both on... He is on Facebook and on Instagram at Blackstar Woodcrafts. And uh, you can see there the kind of work that he does and the different products he has available. And if you have something in mind for a woodcraft that you don't necessarily see, by all means, reach out to him. He's extremely personal. He's extremely approachable. And he would be happy to talk to you about any kind of ideas that you have and sort of help you work through that process and then kind of give you a price and sort of a timeline to when he may be able to get that done. So definitely reach out to him, Scott, at Blackstar Woodcrafts. And... For being a listener to this podcast, if you tell him that you were sent there by the Finch Show podcast, you will get 10% off your order. Now's the time to do it. Uh, come up with something cool, either for yourself or for a friend or for a family member. Um, I guarantee you, you will not regret it. But that aside, the business stuff out of the way, we will move on to the podcast. So, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> 
Shannon. Okay, so we're here, um, here with Shannon. And I guess for those who are listening, or those who don't know you, those who haven't followed you on social media, if we were to bump into each other at a Catalina wine mixer or something, and I were to say, so what is it that you do? What would be your response? Well, I think a lot of people get confused by what I do. Like even my mom, she couldn't even tell you what it is, but all of the things, cause I do so many things, but it's all the same things. It's just root cause focus of your mental, physical, spiritual symptoms. And the things that I do for like individuals and families at like the, the micro level, I also do at the macro. So I work with, I, I train counselors. I'm a teacher, I'm a researcher, I'm a fellow. Um, and I do, I'm a consultant, so I do systems work, but I do the same thing, but I flip it to the macro and it looks more like population health or looking at data to create like just new strategic initiatives that just don't exist out there through uh, trauma, just like a trauma-informed uh, integrative medicine lens. So I use a Missy Elliott quote, like I put my thing down, flip it and reverse it. So the same thing that I do for individuals and families, I do at the macro level too for organizations, systems, groups, and uh, I train a lot of other doctors and uh, practitioners as well. So, yeah. So what, um, what kind of path did you have that led you to where you are now? I imagine it wasn't a boring one. I have a... Uh, interesting work history if you go out into like my linkedin profile you just it, it's very interesting because people are like wait how are you doing what you're doing i've been working since i was 12 years old so this <laughs> is like i'm exhausted i've been working a long time but i've always been focused on like i call myself a social scientist why do we do the things that we do and I, I was a very, uh, like a very sensitive child and very interested in learning. So I was always at the library, just reading, reading, reading about health stuff, primarily health stuff or religion or philosophy, science type of stuff. And um, so my undergraduate degree is in business. And I spent the first decade in my professional working career really in the healthcare system. I've, I've been in technology, um, systems change in the healthcare system. So I've been a pharmaceutical sales representative and I've been a medical device representative for like the majority of my working career. And it was always through that because I wanted to really understand what was going on. My grandfather had died of complications of diabetes. Um, so for everyone freaking out about how the deaths are been recorded right now, we've always recorded things in these weird ways. So someone who has diabetes and dies from a heart attack, the first 10 years that they have diabetes that led to the incident of having a heart attack, they're recorded as heart disease, as death. Well, that's not what caused a heart disease. It was diabetes. So I got into pharmaceutical sales because I wanted to be part of the solution. I quickly learned about the traditional medical model in our healthcare system and how the incentives were misaligned. A doctor had sat me down, a doctor towards the end of his career that was kind of unhinged. He, he sat me down, a lot of doctors are towards the end of their career, they're like, this is what's going on here. 
So he brought me into his office. It's like a Friday afternoon. I was in pharmaceutical sales and we talked for an hour and he brought out all these charts and showed me how he um, was incentivized, talked talk to me about healthcare plans. And it was that day that was like a really pivotal day in my career where I was just like, oh my gosh, so much more here is going on than I ever knew. And I also have to quit my job like right now. Um, so it was from there that I went into medical devices and I worked with uh, medical devices for individuals that had severe communication disorders. So someone that has like ALS or apraxia from a stroke or autism or like Huntington's. Um, so the device that like Stephen Hawking used that talks through eye motion technology, um, that's what I was, those are the products that I had. And I love that. And it was through that that I ended up at Drake University and I went in to present into their, they had a technology class at that time, like an assistive technology class. And I came in and the students were like, this is amazing. When are you going back to school? And I'm like, I'm not going to go back to school to be a counselor. I'm a business, I'm a business person. Like I don't have that background. This is like, this kind of a flip is totally never done before. Mm. Well, as it turns out, we need more people that are counselors and um, that are understanding to be able to kind of change the system, the social services system um, to be, have more of a business lens. So it's hysterical because the class in 2012, the class that really, uh, for me, um, I found my path and like my voice and my passion I'm teaching that class now. So I was in this medical systems class talking about all the different systems of the body. I really understood how epigenetically, you know, no matter, no matter what our background is, we can always change that epigenetic intergenerational footprint and how much control that we really do have over our health, how our health is bi-directional. And the person that taught that class, Dr. Sensorid, he's my mentor. He, had me come in years later and just present again. I didn't know that he was trying to see if this was the class that I was supposed to teach after he, he's kind of in a, a path where he's winding down the end of his career. At any rate, I'm teaching this class now that I, that was the most important class uh, for me in my career. And I just think the whole path is hysterical because it was like all these just kind of weird uh, different career moves that just, really lined up for me and what I was supposed to be doing, what I am doing right now. Mm -hmm. So that's a, really long, that's a <laughs> really long explanation. No, no, no. That's every, I think every career path we end up on um, is interesting to some regard, especially when you end up in a, a field such as yours mm -hmm. or doing what it is that you do. What um, I realize I'm potentially opening Pandora's box here, but if you were to pin a needle on what it is that's flawed about our current medical system or the way we treat patients, mm -hmm. what would you say? It's really complex. Mm -hmm. So there's so many things that, there's so many opportunities. I'm going to frame it in a lens where there's so many opportunities from data sharing to being root cause to, okay, so data sharing just in general. So I work with a a lot of healthcare systems. And for example, there can be a healthcare, like a hospital entity where you go into the hospital and let's say you have a condition where it's, you need to see multiple specialists and you're seeing one specialist here and then the other specialist next door, maybe your 
you know, you're going here and then you're going here. Well, within that hospital system, there could be 17 different data bi-directional paths that are not connected with one another. Mm -hmm. So you get your labs drawn here and you get all this information here at this doctor and you go to this doctor within that same system, the data is not being shared. Mm -hmm. So you're starting all the way over. Mm -hmm. And there are so many people working on this problem. So I think everything that everyone's worried about right now, there are so many uh, healthcare, just revolutionaries out there that have been working on this, these very issues for a very, very, very long time. Mm -hmm. So there's not a lot to fear because there is, I know so many people that are really actively in the arena. So there's the data problem. That's a huge problem. The opportunity is for individuals to own their data. And I have always been adamant about individual ownership of your own data. So um, blockchain is a perfect example, but we have to educate people on what that means. I've done some genetic work with individuals and I've been raising the alarm on ethics in data ownership of at the individual level. So there's the data problem. There's the healthcare misalignment, the incentives. There's, I, so I teach a whole class on this and the whole first day is all about this. So not to go into like a four hour lecture <laughs> slash TED talk that no one wants to listen to. The, and if, so you go in and something happens, like you have a medical event, you go in and any other time, any other thing that happens in our life, like uh, your car has something going on with it. You need a new part for your car. You can go and shop around, right, for the best price for your car, depending on time and all of that. When something goes on with your health, you're tied to your healthcare insurance and what they're going to cover. And then there's all these markups along the way and these vendors that are marking up all of the data, everything, the, the medical claims data, the processing fees, the administration, the all the different systems, the, all of the, the pharmaceutical, everything gets layered on top of each other. And that's why it's so expensive for people and, and their healthcare. And just to manage one condition is thousands and thousands of dollars. Whether or not someone is paying that themselves, we're paying it some, some way along, along the system. So there's a misaligned incentives and the incentives are to put a Band-Aid fix on a disease and so that you're a passive consumer of healthcare dollars coming back through the door. Mm -hmm. So if we put a Band-Aid fix on it and you keep diabetes an example, and then you keep having to come back through the door and we can manage it and it's profitable because we're, our incentives are aligned around profits. That's, that's a problem because if you can't really get to the root of it because you wouldn't have a healthcare consumer. That's why I always talk about prevention and really that makes people really upset. Um, to talk about that and to talk about ways to have people not have health conditions where they can be treated because it's not profitable in our current system. And there's just so many things that are going against that. And then there's the data that's showing that some physicians, many of the, the really great physicians and really good care providers and all of the latest research is saying two things, value-based care and um, patient-centric, which is not where we're at right now. Mm -hmm. And there are so many people that are working on this. Essentially making sure that 
the incentives are aligned with outcomes, value-based care, and then patient-centric, the patient driving their, their care rather than physician. And so educating patients to be more involved and we need to have more, uh, a lot of, there are some healthcare companies that are coordinating care. So like Mayo Clinic, a lot of times why people go to Mayo Clinic is because care is coordinated there. Well, you see companies like, um, oh, I forget the name, but it's a woman's health company. I'll have to look it up. They're doing it all virtual, but they're having all female providers virtual. So let's say you need mental health coverage and then you need to get like um, a pap smear and then you need to go and see um, like a lactation support. Um, Maven, Maven is the name. And so they have all these providers already within their network, they're all virtual and they're coordinating case care and they're bringing the cost down and they're selling to employers. So this is self-funded employer insurance because um, that's a huge opportunity and that's kind of one of the systems that I work with. So there's so many, you ask, you ask this small question, but there's just all these. <laughs> right. There's all <laughs> these layers. And then the other thing too is we really haven't, taught people about their bodies. Like you and I, we took a health class in high school. Remember, we took a health class, we took a health class in, in high school, but we really haven't been taught about how our bodies work, what we can do about it. Um, you know, that we can, we can address root causes and this is what it looks like, uh, how to advocate for our health. When we acquire a health condition, which all of us eventually will, um, they're even thinking about classifying aging as a disease. Uh, so when we acquire these health conditions, I work with a lot of people with chronic illness, mental or physical or disability. That's really where my skill set is. And you're never, you never say, okay, well, you acquired PTSD or you acquired fibromyalgia. Now this is how you advocate for care. This is how you do life now. This is how you accommodate things in the workplace. This is what you do at home. There's no class on this type of thing and it happens in adulthood and it happens when we're trying to to do all of these things so there's not so people come in and they're like well i don't really i don't i'm scared they're traumatized because they've had this condition happen and they they don't know how to look at the the data or the research they don't really understand how everything's connected and their doctor they're seeing the doctor um they have seven minutes with the doctor and the doctor is they have $500,000 of student loans and they will lose their job if they don't get the person in and out and keep them within um, a very narrow framework because they have all of the risk that is put on them. Mm -hmm. The healthcare system, your doctor's not bad. Their doctor's being traumatized by a sick system where all of the financial risk is on that doctor. And so they have to stay within a narrow lane because they have $500,000 worth of student loans Mm -hmm. They have a healthcare uh, system where they are um, saying you have to treat it as such within this lane because if you go outside of this lane, we're not going to um, compensate you. They get a bad performance review, and they, you know, there's all of these things that come down to the doctor and the nurses and all the healthcare team. So yeah. it's so complex. Yeah, and it's gosh, it's it, it's really sad that. Um, being in the country that we live in and all the advances that we've made in, in medical technology that we're sort of stuck in this system where patients and healthcare workers are life are almost held hostage. Mm -hmm. Like rather than us being an efficient system where people can, Oh, I have an illness. I'm not sure what it is. And, you know, knowing that they can go to a doctor 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not have to stress. That, that's kind of like so much of we're sort of in this bizarre system for so many people who don't have a background in, you know, um, anatomy and physiology or any of those sort of things or, and they have an illness and they go to a doctor and they just sort of have this faith that, you know, the doctor is going to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Of course, dependent upon people's sort of insurance and sort of where they stand financially, of course, part of the appointment is going to lie in worried about how much that's going to cost. How much, how much is the bill for this going to be? Is it going to be one of those things where it's like, well, you have a cough and the doctor thinks it's this and the treatment for it is going to cost X amount of dollars. And then what happens if that doesn't do anything and they want to try another route and then how much is that going to cost? And, and then just like you said, it's not like the, the doctor or the healthcare professionals are, um, you know, are flippant about it or, or, you know, non-caring. It's just sort of they're stuck within this framework that they have yep. to operate within as well. Exactly. And they have to operate within uh, their ethical competency, but then also your insurance. And so mm-hmm. what can we diagnose you with that is going to be provided on your insurance? So they have to align your ICD-10 code with um, a, a, an evidence-based, usually a pharmaceutical solution that's aligned and going to mix together. And so, and that's going to match. And so you're very much tied to your insurance and what your insurance is going to cover. And then what that healthcare system covers, what's on formulary. And there's all these different levels of insurance. There's Medicaid, Medicare, self-funded employer. Then there's the ACA. Then we've got millions and millions of people without healthcare insurance uh, still. So it really much lines up. So they're looking at doctors are looking at you holistically, but they ha- they're in, they're within this framework where they, it's almost impossible because they have to do what is on your insurance that aligns with their system, that aligns with their credentialing and their backgrounds and all of this. And they do have to treat it very much like, um, you think about like a, a manufacturing line where it's like, I know I do this every time I see this, I do this, I do this, I do this. Oh, you don't have this insurance what is the next thing that I can do? And so that's really, really hard because um, we also have been trained and conditioned that we outsource our decisions to the person in the white coat. And so people come in there and I see, I work with so many entrepreneurs and therapists and practitioners that are very, very educated, but they get into these situations where they get into this setting and the doctor's like behind they're frazzled, you know, they're trying to get you through like two hours behind because something happened earlier in the day and you're in there and you are so scared because this thing is happening to you that's out of your control and you've got just a couple minutes with them. And at that point, even if you go in with research, the doctor has to code your insurance, code your visit as such and move forward with this thing. So the next time that they can get around to that, they usually have like a day a month where they can do research within the office. And so the doctors are spending, they're working like 80, 100 hours a week. And then they're going to do research on the thing that you brought in there. And it better not be a WebMD article, actual research. Right. Uh, understand that they're trained. Their, their training is 17 years behind the research. So this, late th- this thing that I'm pushing out there that <laughs> this is new research, they haven't been trained on that. Mm-hmm. Because they haven't been trained on it. It's not evidence-based. It doesn't line in with their protocols and things like that. So it's this really long conversation where 
I'm teaching people how to have that really sensitive conversation with not only the doctor, but the nurse and the care team. Cause it's usually the nurses that are getting the stuff done for the, mm -hmm. for, for people. Um, the, everyone on the staff from the front desk person, it's like you have to go in there and ha be open and building those relationship skills. Otherwise you're not going to get anything done because mm -hmm. then you can be called an uncompliant compatient. Yeah. And then I've seen people blacklisted mm -hmm. from care because it's, they're just too much of a squeaky wheel and it, it increases the risk of everybody involved in the yeah. care. And it's, um, gosh, and I've, I'm sure you've been there too. I've, I've met and talked to people who have, you could almost say borderline or 100% do have some form of PTSD purely from trying to get something diagnosed. Like yeah. it's not even the original issue. It was, yeah. you know, it was, <clears throat> excuse me, born out of something where they have a condition going on that's serious. They've been to this doctor. They've been to this doctor. They've had all these tests done. And it's like the, the, the original condition they have is steadily getting worse. Yep. And yet every few months when they have an appointment, it turns into just another turnaround and get you out the door and, well, we'll try to run more tests. Well, we'll try yep. this med. And it gets to the point where, you know, you know, people you, you talk to that have gone through this for years and they're to the point where they're, they're psychologically traumatized on top of having this condition that's still progressively getting worse and there's still no answers and tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars have been spent. The insurance company's fed up because they're like, we're not paying for this anymore. And it just, and then, yeah, it, it feels like it just keeps spiraling and keeps progressively getting worse and worse and worse. It does. I call this medical PTSD. And I'm one of the few in the field that are even talking about this, but it's also the basis of my practice. I work with people with complex conditions, mental or physical, that have gone to the ends of the earth. Uh, you know, this isn't all of the people that I see, but they have gone to the ends of the earth. I have had to do that myself. And if you keep, if you have something going on and you know something's going on, but every expert that you see is invalidating that, um, that you start to question yourself and every visit is anxiety uh, invoking and you worry, am I going to live or die? It's truly why I came um, behind the shadows. I've been doing this work for a really long time underground. It was just a referral word of mouth. Um, people knew that I was doing it. Um, but I wasn't out front because it was quite honestly, I didn't know if this was the path that I was going to go. And, um, I was still trying to validate whether or not like the world needed this. Was there going to be enough that I could do this for full time? Did the, you know, was what I doing enough? Um, because it is such a new modality. And I went to the ends of the earth myself, which so many of my clients do. And when you get that answer, it's so validating. Getting a diagnosis is very, very validating. It's the process to healing beyond labels is what I call, because you have to have that medical base. Like this is what's happening because everybody wants to know why, why, why is this happening and what can I do about it? And, and how do I go about that? And that's really the entry point of our conversation. So people have a lot of fear, even around the diagnosis date, like they have, it's a grief process that it looks like. It's very much like every time it comes around, this is the day that this happened. And that's really the process of where our work starts um, in the emotional component. So I saw that, I know that, and I saw that the medical model is not, no one gets mental health training. Des Moines University this year is the first university in the whole entire U.S. to start mental health training. Up until this point, 
your doctor that's been diagnosing you with depression, anxiety, ADHD, all this stuff has had no training on it. They have a couple training, a couple hours on nutrition. They have no trauma-informed training. And it was because of this, because I work a lot with a lot of integrative providers and medical providers. I'm not throwing anyone under the bus because everyone, I, I everybody's on my team because they're on my client's team. Sometimes their teams are really, really big. Um, but there was a huge gap where people were going from the medical model to more holistic or spiritual healers or functional medicine or integrative medicine. So they were jumping over there, but there wasn't anyone that was talking about the full picture or being trauma informed. So I was like, there ha there has to be a provider out there. There wasn't. And so even though I do integrative medicine, I'm still the only one that's talking in trauma informed and that does stuff with like genetics and psychedelics and stuff like that, where other providers are just like, not it, not it, not it, or it is this whole focus. So I'm not going to treat clients like I'm only going to talk about this part of you. No, it's, it all operates together. And anytime you've heard someone's full story, you know exactly why they are the way that they are. You know, when you hear, oh, you've been going to the doctor for 10 years, you've seen 20 specialists and they have never validated this for you. Of course you're traumatized. Of course you're anxious. Like that, your body is very intelligent because you've been repeatedly re-traumatized along the system. Systems do that. Systems re-traumatize people. When people go and apply for disability or, um, a, you know, SNAP, you know, food, food assistance. It's very re-traumatizing to tell your whole story to a perfect stranger. It's usually someone that's white. Um, and tell me the worst thing about you. Tell me your worst day of your life. Tell me that that's how we're meeting. And that's mm -hmm. how you get this by telling me that it's not okay. Our system does a terrible job because we don't share data along the way. We're not trauma informed. We don't look at holistic, like my ear, nose, and throat doctors, like, I'm only looking at this from here to here. You know, I'm pointing from my ears to my throat. Anything else outside of that is, like, not it. Because he has disincentives by going outside of his lane. Mm -hmm. So we have to do better. And we have to really, really, I just call it putting a village around people of providers like myself that are not tied to insurance benefits. I'm like water. I can kind of flow <laughs> where I need to go. But with that, like I can't take healthcare insurance because that keeps me stuck in the same thing that's happening over and over again. So there, there is a new sea of providers cropping up that are like water, but I am calling for more trauma informed and mental health uh, education, education, because you can't, you can't tell me anyone with anxiety doesn't have gut stuff. Anyone with depression doesn't have pain. Anyone with PTSD doesn't have something going on elsewhere in their body. Mm -hmm. And so you can't just look at one thing and then not look at the other and be like, uh, not it. Right. The, um, I, I sort of feel like um, in the medical field, especially when it comes to treating patients, that mental health is sort of like the missing piece of the puzzle that's been ignored for a long time. And even then, and you're obviously the experts, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I sort of feel like it's something that we're finally just now really beginning to get a grip on and beginning to understand the level of importance that it has. Yeah, the emotional side of he healing, I would even just say emotional side of healing to even normalize that. And then this pandemic is the perfect reminder to everyone. I think before this, even before this event, two months ago, 
people thought mental health happened to other people. Like, I don't have mental health. Like, it's not it. It's not me. I'm fine. Everyone has mental health. It's all on a spectrum. Like, we all have fear. We all get anxious. We all get sad. And all humans have every single range of emotion possible within you. Just because you haven't are allowed to or have accepted that part of yourself doesn't mean you don't have it within you. You know, we all have the full range of it. Of emotions and I think practitioners doctors functional medicine and integrative medicine providers are grateful that there is someone like me that exists not be, not because it's me I'm not even taking ownership they're just grateful because and they're hungry for the information because they've been wanting to try to understand um, their their patients better and understanding the emotional side of healing and a lot of them have said this is a missing link to be able to uh, educate them. So I, that's why I'm like so busy right now because they're so excited to have this information. They're so excited to have somebody that understands their side of the world because I'm, I'm not throwing them under the bus. They're doing the best that they can. Mm. It's not a doctor's fault that they don't have 17 years. I mean, they, that are, they're 17 years behind um, on education and research and they went to school and spent $500,000 and never got the training. It's not on them. If you learn about what doctors do to get trained, it is, it's like Marine boot camp and psychological. They, they try to psychologically break doctors to see who will make it. And it's, I mean, when, if you're in school for 25 years, I mean, that's a, that's a long time. That's a right. long time. You were in school for at least 25 years to become a doctor. Um, and it is, they're like over 40 before they're done. Uh, and they're hungry for this information because they do want to serve their, their clients. And it's a systemic problem. And it's a problem where it even goes back to um, prevention. And that's why I keep going back further and further. I'm working with um, on a grant, a federal grant for infant and childhood mental health, which most people are like infants have mental health, mm -hmm. right? Right. Your, your brain is being fully developed. I mean, it's not fully developed till we're 30, but infants, if you talk about childhood trauma, childhood trauma expresses as adulthood, autoimmunity, heart disease, diabetes, every chronic health condition, mental or physical can be traced back to childhood trauma. So I'm like, I got to go. I was working with at the state teenagers. I'm like, I got to go. I got to go even earlier. Um, to be able to address this. And even before that, my research is on pregnancy and, and talking about prenatal, you know, care and sexual health and, and all of those things, because you can turn off some of that stuff. But I think the thing is with prevention is nobody gets credit for something not happening. That's why mm -hmm. public health is like that, like boring. Nobody wants right. to public health. Cause it's like, we don't get to pat ourselves on the back because nothing happened. Like mm -hmm. an outbreak didn't happen. That's the whole point of public health. That's the whole point of prevention, but we can't measure what doesn't happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, well, I think, um, <clears throat> excuse me, when it comes to mental health, I sort of feel like a, a lot of times people don't recognize how much sometimes physical ailments can be tied to that. And mm -hmm. we probably don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I've noticed that in other people. I've especially noticed it in myself. I, you know, I, having anxiety as I do, it's one of those things where it, it took me years to understand that when you think anxiety, like you think like, oh, well, I have anxiety. I'm anxious constantly. And mm -hmm. in reality, that's not the truth. 
Right. The truth of it is, is there's just something on my mind that I'm thinking about and I can't figure out why my neck constantly hurts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it took a while for me to like begin to make those connections. Yep. And now I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. No, you're not developing a tumor in your neck. You're not, it's not something mm-hmm. that's just, you're worried about something and you're thinking about it a lot and physically it's manifesting itself in these ways. And, mm-hmm. and, um, I, I, again, you're, you're the expert on this, but I sort of feel like the more we can get to the bottom of that and get more public awareness out is just to how important mental wellness is to our overall wellness, the better off I think everybody's going to be. Exactly. We need to normalize it. So I love that you shared your story and you're the expert in yourself. So I'm the expert in, you know, I'm, I'm throwing out all of these things. So I don't know who's listening to this, right? I don't know their unique situation. I don't know their background. I don't know all of that stuff. So I I really do want people to start trusting themselves. If something's going on, that's your intuition. And a hundred percent of my clients, a hundred percent, they knew something was going on and a lot of them knew exactly what was going on. And as it turned out, that's exactly what it was. Um, but it took so many providers to, to figure that out. So a hundred percent of the time, um, trust, starting to trust that. Now that is impossible to trust your intuition as we are collectively taught not to. And also we don't feel like we have the education and background and we don't have the understanding of the bi-directional nature. All mental and physical health has bi-directional expression, 100%. So the first six years that I have practiced integrative medicine, I focused on the physical because it's more of an accessible point to talk about your emotional and, and your mood, your mental health. Uh, and the, what I do in my practice, so I'm not a therapist. Don't, I'm not a mental health therapist. My colleagues, I lean on them because they have the different credentialing and they go and they work with people just on their mental health and talking about the nitty gritty stuff. <clears throat> My background is uh, disability, chronic physical and mental health conditions. And with integrative medicine, I use, I'm using a blend of my different experiences uh, as far as educational and then neuroscience and some different um, tools to help people understand their emotions. And so I use a couple different uh, systems with individuals to really understand their mental health and how uh, anxiety expresses. So for everyone listening, anxiety is a human emotion that we all have that is primarily built into us to identify threats. So if you need anxiety, you need a certain level of anxiety to tell you what's going on. This is how we've evolved and stayed alive since the beginning of time um, to be able to trust those threats and to be able to trust those cues. Um, and to understand that this is part of ourselves that are, that's in that fight or flight, which is part of our nervous system. So 100% of people have anxiety. It's where, again, on the spectrum of mental health, where it becomes to bothersome for parts of the day. Like I'm having too much uncomfortable sensations in my body when I'm at work, that it's becoming part of, like it's negatively contributing to my productivity. And now what do I do about that? So that's kind of how I look at at it. Not like there's something wrong with you. Here's your diagnosis. I really have people sit with their feelings of like, what does it feel like for you? When does it happen? What can we do about that? What can we do before and after the events? Noticing your triggers, uh, noticing what, whether it's an external trigger like your mother-in-law or, or a trigger like 
hey, I have a food sensitivity. (laughs) (laughs) Or if it's like social media, specifically on the social media, when they start talking about this, then what do you do about that? What does it feel like? What's the story going on behind the anxiety? Usually it's the story. We're constantly narrating a life to ourselves inside our head or inside our body. And with trauma, it's very much going back to states of fear that we're too overwhelming. And so this is where it becomes too much and a panic attack sometimes occurs because it was like, Hey, I felt this way before. Not, we're not cognitively thinking that we're like, Oh, I'm having a panic attack here because when I was five years old, I was around this person that felt unsafe. And now this other person is reminding me of this other person that was unsafe. And now I'm feeling it. We don't, this is in our subconscious. It's not even in our awareness of this is why what's happening. But when we start to dig into our roots, healing often looks like sitting with very difficult sensations and emotions and having tools and strategies to be able to deal with the hard stuff of being a human system with a nervous system attuned to sensing threats. Mm -hmm. So yeah, anxiety is real for all of us. Well, and it's funny because we were just, I think we were just texting about this last week about how we're sort of in this this thing right now where um, our bodies and our minds were evolved to exist and survive in an environment that we no longer live in. Mm-hmm. And now everything is just, you know, it, it, it was one thing when your anxiety or your fight or flight hormones were evolved to handle a rustling in the bush in the dark to now we're, we're dealing with tax brackets and insurance companies and auto insurance and driving and work and schedules and, kids sports and everything else like that. And it's, you know, there are sometimes where I, it's kind of like gallows humor, I guess, but I kind of laugh because it's almost kind of like a sick experiment. Like, Mm -hmm. Hey, let's take all these people with this level of anxiety designed to deal with this and let's throw them in here and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think in a lot of ways we're seeing exactly what happens. Mm -hmm. You're seeing exactly what happens. And then, so all of us figured out some level of coping before this, like, whether it was through busyness or going to the gym or, you know, rhythms with going to work. We, you know, we had levels, most, a lot of people had levels of coping. Well, there's, there were people that were still learning how to cope and their healing is largely on pause and has been negatively impacted so much. So, uh, you know, because they were struggling before and now this is just, it's too much. It's too much of a, a leap it's way outside of their window of tolerance. Like I was barely surviving before and now I, it's impossible. So that's why you're seeing increases in all negative outcomes of all kinds. And we will continue to, we're living in a society where when people come to me, they, they're trying to, uh, you know, survive on a couple hours of sleep to get everything done. Well, we cannot hack sleep. Like you cannot, as in, there's no, you can't catch up on it. There's no way around it. Just taking sleep as an example. We still need largely eight hours of sleep a night. There are a small percentage of people that have a genetic variant that they can survive on five hours of sleep, but this is very, a very, very, very small number of people. And so I see so many people with just a couple hours or maybe six hours, and that's still not enough. And that's going to turn on epigenetically all these levers because we're trying to get all this stuff done. We're trying to, um, I mean, how many logins do you have? 
right? Like we're, how many logins do you have? <laughs> right? Because, so we're trying to make things easier by electronically, you know, doing all of the things that we used to have to show up to do. But now we have a million logins for a million different things and all these different aspects of ourselves. We're very fragmented and we're trying to do the best that we can. And it's like the rug has been pulled out from under us. So we had in a world of uncertainty, the world is uncertain. We had created safety. We had created rhythms. We had created enough things where we felt like, okay, I've got a handle on life. You know, like this adulting stuff is super hard, but I, I can do it. Now it's like that world no longer exists and we're going to go try to go back here and it's not going to be there anymore. So that's going to be these ripples that play out in very extreme ways because we're going to try to go back to go what we knew. Well, what we knew doesn't work, didn't work before then, but it's very much highlighted how much so it just does not work. And people are taking to the streets and they will continue to if we have enough energy, right? Because people are exhausted. Right. <laughs> and people are exhausted and it's not on, when it says traumatizing you, it's not on you to fix a traumatic system. Like I see a lot of people, you know, protesting and doing these things, which is great. Like, and if you're in a fight or flight uh, response mode, what humans do is they take action, okay? So you're gonna see people taking action in a lot of ways, and this is what we're built to do. Animals do it in nature, they fight, and then, you know, like a, a duck or a swan will fight, but then they take like a lap afterwards to flap off the wings, the excess energy. All animals do this in nature. We're flapping our wings and protesting or whatever, posting on social media or, you know, yelling at your family. We're doing it. <laughs> We're doing it in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, honing that to being more productive, like you and I, you know, we're both like, what can we do about this? Let's get on a podcast. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. Let's be productive. Um, let's, let's be able to talk about it. Um, I think that's going to be really important to be able to see like, where can I really make an impact or is this even the worth my energy? Because I'm doing so many things already that mm -hmm. are already super hard. Right. Um, as a kind of a, a segue, because I thought this was interesting, you've mentioned uh, epigenetics a couple times. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I have have a very, very mild understanding of. Mm -hmm. So please tell me. <laughs> well, the one-on-one on, -one on uh, epigenetics. So a lot of people are really interested in um, like intergenerational trauma or wounds or an example could be everyone in our family has diabetes or everyone in our family has anxiety. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that. Epigenetics is a large pool of all of the reasons why. Some within the environment, within your body, things that you control and some things that you just cannot outside of that. And turning on these levers, just because you have a gene doesn't mean that you're going to express that gene. Your gene could be sitting there and I think this is a lot of the times a lot um, like breast cancer. If I have the gene, that means I have it or I don't. Well, you can even have breast cancer without having the gene. So that's how complex this, your health really is. Uh, with epigenetics, you can, you are predisposed to having something in your body because of genetic or environmental factors. That doesn't mean that you ha are destined to have that. You can turn these things off through lifestyle. Uh, modifications or like I said, sleep or eating right or um, de-stressing 
you know, toxic stress is, is literally killing us. Stress is implicated in 90% of physical and mental health conditions as one of the root causes. And so you're just thinking about like turning a light switch on or off. Like I have this gene and sit in the background and um, what do I do to support this? I work with a lot of people with MTHFR uh, gene, which can turn on a lot of mental and physical health conditions. With this, it's a methylation pathway that is uh, like congested and it doesn't work as much. You have to take a different form of folate um, and you have to do more detoxification strategies. And this is a gene where it's been implicated in like autism in children or neural tube defects. And so when I wrote, I'm writing pregnancy research, I am talking about this pathway uh, because folate uh, or folic acid is recommended when if you have this gene, which 25 to 40% of individuals uh, do have it at more high risk, we need to take L-methylfolate instead. And um, there's a big opportunity there. So that's where I think it's very interesting to study some of these things because it gives people more empowering choices to make. So what, you know, we need to change the recommendation of uh, folic acid to uh, L-methylfolate because it doesn't hurt anyone, <laughs> you know, to be able to do it that way. You should know giving this set of um, health conditions, what to look into, and don't take these medications because it does turn it on more. And you're going to be seeing a lot of side effects. So people will be seeing a lot of side effects to medications because of their genetics. And I've done the only to date clinical trial of a self-funded employer population with precision medicine. And so I had to dig into epigenetics even more so uh, to look at what do we do at the population level with genetic health. And um, and epigenetics and, and what do you do behind that? And so that, from that, it really led me more down into the trauma rabbit hole because um, I'm seeing these, these revolutionary healthcare um, hackers, like these, these big time uh, CEOs and, and people in the healthcare industry really want to put the smack down on the opioid epidemic. You know, it's killing people. They don't understand trauma. Opioids, um, there, there may be a genetic component, but more so addiction is, addiction is trauma. Addiction is a coping mechanism for trauma. And parents will say who someone has died from addiction. Well, this person wasn't traumatized. Trauma cannot be defined by you. Something that I'll see two people experience the same exact thing. Their lives are completely different though. For one of them, it was empowering. They processed it immediately. They moved on. For the other one, it was the most traumatic thing that's ever happened in their life and it may compound already existing trauma. So you really can't define that. This is where mental health professionals are so needed and they need to be involved in these healthcare teams that are looking at the data, that are looking at, well, what do you do for these, for these protocols that you're putting into place? Um, I've been yelling and screaming to the BIS, why are we gonna add more uh, mental health visits this year? Because this is a pandemic and traumatic. If you've only had 10 or 12 visits this year, we need to start increasing that. Can you do a mid-year plan um, bump to the healthcare plan? You know, no one's, no one's there yet, but this is frequently like what keeps me up at night. You know? like, <laughs> this, is, this is what gives you anxiety. <laughs> this is what gets me going. I'm like, who's listening to this? Who's gonna? What are we doing about this? Because I know, I know exactly what's, what's, I'm 20 years from now, we're going to be, there's going to be things and I've been talking only to my, my, only my husband's listening to this. 
But 20 years from now, there's going to be a group of kids or a group of people where they went through the pandemic. It was very traumatic and very hard. And it's going to have look like, I don't know what, we don't know what that's going to look like, but there's going to be a bump of something that's happening within health. Um, if you look at like, I've been talking to my grandma who lived through the great depression and talking to her, like, why is she saving stuff? Why does she keep money under her mattress? You know, these kinds of things. Is she a hoarder? I'm putting in, you know, quotes, or did she live through something? She learned from it and she knew that history could repeat itself. You're a historian, you know, you know much more about that than I do, but there's going to be these unintended consequences. And you've already seen that right now, which it always happens when you try to do something There's always that's new. There's always unintended consequences. Mm. Well, and it sort of feels like as we're dealing with this pandemic that um, so often we forget how frail society is, mm -hmm. that it's sort of held up on pillars of salt and sand that, you know, we, we tend to think of society as being this, you know, this rock solid thing where we get American Idol and can go through the drive through and get a number three. And this is just the way life goes. And then nature throughout history we found has a way of reminding us that that yeah. societal structure is a really thin veneer, mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, over what's underneath. And um, you say you're really, really busy right now. So you're seeing a lot of ripple effects coming into your practice from mm -hmm. obviously not necessarily people who have been diagnosed with COVID-19, but people just dealing mm -hmm. with the sort of new reality we're all stuck in. Yeah. So my practice, you know, has been steadily growing uh, just in general. So it's hard to like look at, compare it apples to apples, but I went and looked at this time next year. So usually uh, in Iowa, we only have a couple good months of weather because <laughs> we're in the Midwest. <laughs> right. And so usually uh, summers are, you know, just slower in general. So I looked at the numbers between this year and last year and my practice is uh, three times as busy just with the individuals I'm seeing. Now I work, uh, I teach and I do consulting and research. And when I do consulting, I'm working with individuals who are uh, living in poverty and have a lot of really, a lot of uh, barriers as well. And so that work has increased. The teaching also has increased in, because I had to change everything to online format. So, um, and we're all trying to figure that out, but so my practice has increased by three times more men in general. I was questioning this last year. I'm like, do I even offer services to men? Because so few ever reach out. I, this last, last week, more men reached out to me in one week than the entirety of last year. So that never happens. Okay. Where a man is calling me up on the phone and wanting to talk about what's going on immediately or sending me any long email that rarely happens. It's usually like a very brief back and forth. And, um, so it, it's been very, um, I feel very grateful that I had made this decision to do this type of work because not only am I um, providing resources that are trauma informed for mental health, but it's also with specifically with COVID-19, Integrative medicine is all about immune, immune uh, boosting behaviors. And so it's just, you never know when your business is going to take off, right? Like you just never know. I'm thinking, okay, you know, no one's going to be thinking about integrative medicine during this time. No, I, I, people are really like, hey, what can I do right now? They want to take action. 
They want to do that. Um, I had a steady list of clients that I was working with already, but then more people are coming to me um, through just doing things like this and wanting to take uh, personal responsibility or just investigate what's going on there uh, with their health, with the root causes. So it's increased. Um, and so I'm like, is this just me? So Talkspace is a, is a mental health um, app that individuals can work with a licensed therapist through, um, I think they do texting and phone calls. Don't quote me on that one. Please look it up. I don't know. Um, but they, they had reported that they have increased by 65%. Um, and all of the, um, all, all of the data that I'm seeing is, um, drinking's going up, substance abuse is going up, domestic violence, childhood abuse, um, any negative suicide, any negative social determinant of health marker is going up. It's increasing exponentially. Uh, and people are uh, barely hanging on and they're reaching out more and more. Um, and you know, my mental health colleagues say the same thing. We're where the numbers are going down is people are just so overwhelmed and so collapsed that they aren't even reaching out. They're just beyond the point of like, I can't, I can't even get on the phone and talk with my provider. Um, or I can't get in there. Some, some still have face-to-face uh, -face, uh, meetings. My work is a little bit different because it's not insurance-based. And I was thinking, oh, since it's not insurance-based, it will, people won't reach out to me as much. No, they are even more so. So well, good. Well, I'm yeah, glad yeah. that a lot more, um, a lot more men have re are reaching out. That's, yeah. you know, we're sort of like, even like I, I personally wasn't raised in a family where you were taught that men kept their mouth shut and just carried on. But societally speaking, you know, there was still, you know, that pressure of, well, you know, if, if you have a problem, if you have feelings you need to talk about, well, that's just because you're weak and you're not tough enough. And, yeah. you know, of course we, we're finding all these like things that we prided ourselves on for a long time, like being able to go on little sleep and being able to mm -hmm. do this and do this and be able to just internalize everything because that's healthy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're starting to figure a lot of these things out that, yeah, they're going to cause you a lot of problems long term. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm really, really happy to hear that more and more men are reaching out. I am um, too. Oh, I really am. You know, it's, it's been, it's been so exciting and I, I feel grateful that, you know, as I wrestled with making some of these really big career decisions, because I'm doing it in such a different way, coaching, you know, coaching usually isn't, um, I'm supposed to be in an office somewhere and I'm supposed to be diagnosing. So this is the very much the conditioned practice around, you know, my field, I'm supposed to be uh, doing that and I'm not supposed to be doing these other things, you know, but um, coaching is very accessible for men and men like to, and I'm just, oh my gosh, this is probably some, someone's probably listening to this right now. Like this, this woman doesn't know what she's talking about, but because it's, it's just a different framework. It's solutions focused. It's brief. It's very much like what's going on. What can we do together? What's the plan of action? But I'm saying this because if there's anyone out there listening, that's like, Hey, I'm not a therapist, but I want to provide support to men. Do it coaching, mentoring, men's groups, men's circles. We have a group here at um, Innerspace where they're not licensed practitioners, but they just get men together and they talk about male, male stuff. 
um, fa fatherhood groups. We don't have any fatherhood groups here. Um, that's outside of a therapy setting or even in. So it, men, if you're thinking, hey, I want to go to therapy, finding a, a good uh, male therapist or female, whatever you want, whoever you want to talk to that you feel most comfortable with, FYI, finding a good therapist is like dating. So if you, <laughs> the first one you go to, if you don't like, keep going to different ones. Give them Watch for the red flags. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to find the right one on the first try. You may, and maybe you do. Um, but you have to find a right fit. And so I'm, I'm making it, I keep, I keep to anyone out there that's interested in working with, uh, men, please do it, please. Now, yesterday, start yesterday. Um, because we need to normalize all of these things. Men have all, they have all of the same emotions and some of it are, um, like depression, this, I put this on my website, the, the reported um, impacted depression is reported even more so for men as far as like how much it is felt because they have not been able to express that. And a lot of men will um, show up, it'll show up in behaviors of like overworking, substance abuse, anger, it's still depression, so it looks different, um, but still there. You're still a human doing hard things. Why wouldn't you have feelings of depression, which right now is very a natural response. So it was anxiety, so it was panic, so it was paranoia. All of these are normal responses that one would have to a threat. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that um, you're absolutely right. And if you can, if you feel like you need um, a therapist, find one, definitely. So much of it, I think, is also like, if you can just find someone to talk to, just find someone uh -huh. to vent, just... Yep put everything you're feeling into words that that in and of itself can be so huge. If you've got all this stuff that's bottled up inside you, so much of it is subconscious. You may not even realize it, but God, if you could just have the ability to sit down mm -hmm. and talk through it step by step with somebody, it doesn't necessarily mean that person is going to begin to diagnose or prescribe anything, but just mm -hmm. be a sensitive ear to listen to and, you know, be like, wow, yeah, that, that really sucks, man. You know, because mm -hmm. sometimes that's all we need. Um, it's so true. That is so true. To be seen and heard, to be validated by another human, this is how we heal. Conversations are healing. It doesn't have to be a licensed professional. Um, and it is more, it's sometimes more meaningful if it just comes from a friend where you're just sitting with them. I think a lot of times when people are going through really extremely hard things, it's difficult for people to sit with them because they've never sat with themselves doing a really hard thing. Uh, and a lot of times people cannot sit with someone suffering and they try to fix it. Mm -hmm. And they try to make it go away or hey, let's drink or do, you know, go back to these coping mechanisms that might just not be so helpful. Just sitting there, like what you said, I just want everyone to really know that's all you have to do is say, hey, that sucks. That sounds like it's terrible. Mm -hmm. Oh, that has to be so hard. Or just sitting with them, just being with them and be, or showing up. And a lot of times people are like, no, I'm fine. Don't come over to show up, go over there. Oh my gosh, barge to the front door, sit with them. <laughs> Lay in bed with them, you know, it's like, I can't get up. I haven't gotten up for a week and my house is a mess. Da, da, da. Um, when I was uh, a new mom, my house was a disaster. And of course you don't want anyone to see you just a complete disaster. One of my friends just came over. She didn't say anything. She just started cleaning up my house. Like I still cry thinking about like that. She cleaned up my whole house, took out my garbage. Didn't really say much. Didn't, she's like, here's some food. I'm going to clean up your house. What time can I come over? We don't have to do anything. And I just, I still, it was so touching, you know, just that act of kindness and just showing up for somebody and not having to like talk or do anything. And just, just so raw and real. And what 
we just need to do for each other. Mm -hmm. I hope that I, everybody in my profession hopes that we never, that, that there's one day where there doesn't need to be someone like me, where you're paying us to, to be with and saying, yeah, that's, that's hard. That's terrible. Let's, let's try to figure it out together. Um, but unfortunately we just, we haven't, not only have men been told not to cry, but it's also like, Hey man, suck it up. You know, we have to have different conversations that are outside of like drinking beer and watching the game with one another. Like, how are you really doing? Mm -hmm. My husband has a group of guys that gets together. Um, I don't know, just a month. And it's just like a circle of guys that they get together and they just talk about like hard stuff that they're going through. And I really want this practice to go viral. Like I, I keep talking about it because I just, I want it to ripple out. It's just, there's not like a mental health provider that I know of in the group. They're just like, what are you doing? What, how's your relationship going? How's fatherhood going? How's your job? How are you really doing? And they share like feedback with each other. They have different just different rhythms within the group, you know, not to say too much about that because that's their personal information. But I think that that kind of stuff is so important. Mm -hmm. It's so healing to be able to be seen and heard and not judged and just sit with another person and be like, Oh, you're, you, you're still with me. Even seeing me like this, maybe I can still be with myself like this. Well, and it, it, to me, it reinforces, although with a new bent on it, the idea of is it takes a village. You know, mm-hmm. we need to realize that um, A, just in general, but B, the more and the longer that we're sort of doing shelter at home and sort of dealing with this coronavirus, which unfortunately I don't think is anywhere near to being over, even no. if it's, even if we're going to go through several cyclical patterns here of, mm-hmm. you know, quarantine, okay, open things back up, okay, quarantine again. Um, and thankfully we have the technology now that we can reach out a little bit more, even mm-hmm. virtually. It doesn't necessarily have to be a neighbor or somebody who lives in town. Mm-hmm. Um, you're all the way in Iowa and I'm here in Illinois and yet here right. we are, you know, right. uh, doing a Zoom podcast. So that's <laughs> that's really great. Do you have, um, we're kind of getting close to wrapping up here. Do you have anything you'd like to say to people having a hard time dealing with shelter at home and their lives either being turned upside down or turned sideways? Yeah, I'm going to look up, I'm looking up this uh, post that I made because I took, I've been taking extra training right now. No provider, no mental health provider has ever, like we're trained for hard things just in general, but none of us have been through a pandemic. This is a first in our lifetime. And so I've been taking extra trainings to really start to identify like, what can we do? Um, And I've had to even change the information that I'm putting out there. Like I can't talk about normal things that I would normally promote. But for example, right now we're in a shortage of food and people can't go to the store, right? And not everyone has masks and, and all of these things. So um, we have to get really back to the basics of being a human, okay? Get back to the basics of being a human. Loss of safety is one of the biggest things. So loss of financial, psychological safety. And so reach out to, I have been posting um, text and crisis lines. If you're in a really unsafe environment at home, please reach out. Those are all confidential and establish as much safety as you can at home. Everyone in the home should have their own space, their own space to be, and no one should be bothering them in in that space for that designated time that they're in the space. So if you have roommates in a a home that you share uh, with other people, 
everybody needs to have a quiet space. There's, I work with a lot of um, moms who are working at home and they're, you know, taking care of kids or fathers at home right now. There's not really a division of what's happening right, for right. everyone at home. And so making sure that everyone's getting a break. Uh, and so that, you know, mom is, mom's in a timeout right now. Okay. And mm -hmm. don't go into that space. Dad's in a timeout right now, making sure that, um, everyone is safe. And so that also means with employment too. So reach out to employment providers. Everyone has a workforce office in their um, area, making sure that you're filing for unemployment benefits. Um, in Iowa, there's laws that if it's an unsafe work environment that you can file, there's information out there saying this is an unsafe work environment. And if you have a disability, so a mental or physical health condition, it's a dis it can be a disability depending on the uh, essential functions of your job. And so you can, you have to file in, for accommodation stating that you have a disability and that could be, I'm immunocompromised and I need to see the policies and procedures moving back uh, to uh, going back to work. Otherwise, um, I need to have a work from home. So that needs to be done before. So accommodations need to be put in place prior to them provided. Uh, so doing something, uh, so another precondition for a traumatic environment is the loss of sense of time or not having a future. So I think this is one that is so triggering for people right now because it's like, what's gonna happen here? Um, and so scheduling something that you look forward to a couple times a week is gonna be really, really important. So getting, doing these things, like you and I are looking forward to doing this, making sure that you're doing, getting face-to-face. -face. If you can do FaceTime, will people do that more often? Um, because having those facial clues, I can see that you're nodding. I can see that you're smiling. I can see that you're attentive to what I'm saying. And so that's going to be really, really important. Um, so we numb out as a culture and uh, when things get too hard, this is called zoning out is called dissociation in uh, my clinical mind, but it's just the things that we do like eating, sleeping, um, you know, sugar, alcohol, substances, our culture is kind of obsessed with like, if it's too hard, then I'm out. And this is happening more and more because it's quite honestly, people are just, they've reached the wall. Like they've hit the wall. It's too much. And so don't, please don't take what I'm saying as a form of judgment. Like if you're, whatever you're doing is what you're doing and um, you know, to get through and there's no judgment there, but try to be more mindful of the things that you're doing. It could just be one mindful minute looking outside, looking out the window at nature. People are bird watching now, like bird watching videos are going viral. People are crocheting and knitting. Anytime that you're really in the moment, in the now, not in your story. Um, and then quite honestly, retraining your nervous system to really live with a low level uh, threat in the background. That's anxiety. This is why people are so tired right now because your nervous system has been really um, telling you, hey, we're not safe two months now. Mm -hmm. So being as mindful as possible and mindfulness can be anything. It can be cooking, it can be cleaning, it can be uh, going for a walk, it can be listening to music. It's really anything that you're not mindlessly scrolling, drinking, eating, th those kinds of things. Uh, having connection with yourself and others is the loss of that can be pre-traumatic. And so connect with yourself, regulate in between activities, do doing something. I'm going to go stretch and walk around after this. Um, listen to music, take breaks is really, really important. 
Um, we feel when we're stuck in these anxious environments, like you said, it's going to be, there's going to be periods of us going back to normal in quotation marks, more cases occurring, and then probably pulling back to isolation. There's going to be probably in the fall again for at least the data is showing maybe one or two more years until, you know, people are immune or there's a vaccine or, or whatever that is. Um, so it's going to be, the world's going to change. The world changed after 9-11. Like we used to be able to walk into an airport, you know, and just kind of walk through it. I don't know. Don't you remember that? Or you oh, yeah. Like the world changes with, yeah. there's certain events that happen that just change the nature of everything. And so, you know, we didn't have all these security checkpoints. We could go see our loved ones when we were flying on a plane and go can we walk up to them like in a, you used to smoke on a plane we used to be able to you know what I mean? <laughs> things change when you right so these things change that just change the history of the landscape of of the world so when you're feeling activated more people are arguing at home you're just you're sick of being around the people that you're with we're all anxious we're all activated go and do something with that energy go dance mm -hmm go for a walk, go. There's a lot of, I hear so many people in our neighborhood doing projects. <laughs> a lot of people doing a lot of smiling. This is great though. There's a lot of people that are gardening. Take, channel that rage, channel that anger, turn it into something else, transmute it like an alchemist into something else, write a blog post, um, get on a podcast, you know, I'm a nerd. So I transmute my rage through like articles or, <laughs> I, you know, my, my fear through here's a, here's a social media post. So, so do something with that. Um, anxious and, and having that threat and people are going to be going back to work and being super triggered because it's like, oh my God, we haven't, we don't have this figured out. Nobody, nobody has this figured out yet. We're going to have to try some things out and then reassess, reassess every day. Is this working? Is this working? And then um, lack of predicted uh, lack of predictability of schedules um, is another precondition for a traumatic event. Uh, so make sure that you're always assessing your schedule. Um, I've had like five or six different schedules in seven weeks now with my work from home that have not worked, and I keep <laughs> because everything changes, and so right. I keep. Um, changing the schedule and having a flexible schedule. Um, I don't have like every 20 minutes of my life dictated, but this is what's happening in the morning. This is happening later morning. This is happening at lunch. This is happening um, in the evening. And this is what's happening at night. The other thing that I'm really, really concerned about uh, specifically with mental health is people staying up all night because of circadian rhythms. And so go to sleep when the sun goes to sleep, get up when the sun comes up. This is how we cannot hack all of these things. We're trying to hack this. We're trying to, uh, like you said before, we're trying to do all of these things that are just out of um, the rhythm of being a human. Like we cannot work 80 hours a week. People are realizing that we break. Mm -hmm. uh, we cannot stay up all night and then just be fine for the next day and do that over an extended period of time. It just, it doesn't work. Uh, it also doesn't work for vitamin D levels to not be outside in the sun for 15 minutes a day. So mm -hmm. getting, putting together a schedule that works for you and your family and your situation 
And you may have to push back on an employer because some employers are going to try to get back to how it was before. And that world no longer exists. It doesn't exist anymore. I think there's going to be a real clash between um, companies that are driven by individuals that don't have children versus people that have children. This has always been kind of like the war on moms um, or people that are caretaking children because so many people do where you don't really understand, we haven't figured out how do kids be at home during periods and then how do we do work or how do we provide childcare when we have essential workers, but children are staying home. Like you're an essential worker, but your kids have to be, what's happening here? Right. Oh, only making $9 an hour and there's no safe childcare. I mean, what, what's going on here? Like that's not going to work. So we have a lot of childcare uh, solutions are going to have to change. Um, we're going to have to change the nature of work. I mean, there's, there's so many things that are going to have to change, but this means there's a lot of opportunity for everyone that's all fired up about the things that you're fired up for, go and do something about them mm -hmm. or, or get involved in some way that you can. Not everyone's in the position to change all of the things because they're just trying to get through the day. So just know that. Know that, yeah, I feel bad about this. I wish there was something I could do, but that does it's not a, it's not your responsibility to change the world. Like that's too big of a leap if you are really, really struggling. The the goal is to get get through what you're trying to get through right now. Absolutely. And I love um now we obviously you and I have known each other for a long time. I think going all oh, the yeah. way back to like seventh grade or something like that, went through high school and all that together. But even if that wasn't there, even if that wasn't how we met or how we knew each other. Following you on um, social media is really, really great. Um, you share a lot of really informative stuff, a lot of really inspiring stuff. Um, so anybody who's listening to this podcast who wants to know more, wants to know how they can find you, how they can follow you, how they can reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? I am almost on all of the things at the Integrative Counselor. So... I have a website, theintegrativecounselor.com. I'm on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. I'm Roots Counselor at Twitter. And then LinkedIn is my just my name. I don't know. I don't know how to do some of the other ones. There's like a one where you do video. I can't. There's only so much that I can do. What's <laughs> right. that called? Is it TikTok? Is it TikTok? Oh, TikTok. Yeah. I don't. I can't. I'm, oh, YouTube. I'm on YouTube. I don't. I'm at my max. I'm at my wall as far as how much I can put out there. And <clears throat> no, I don't have that one. But the rest of them, you can find me out there. <laughs> TikTok <laughs> is for those young whippersnappers. That's what those young well, kids I've are seen into. Some, I've, I've, seen some, I've seen some people, some practitioners putting stuff out there. I'm like, I can't, I don't, I just, I've hit the wall. I try to, I can't, I can't. Don't make me learn more. more. Please don't make me learn anymore. <laughs> no. That's how I feel. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, thank you. Hopefully we can get to a point. Uh, th this was kind of like this podcast was a bit of a departure because when I first started this podcast, I my one ironclad rule that I had was that every guest had to be in person mm -hmm. because I feel like that that's the best way to be able to communicate with somebody. You know, um, I had all kinds of requests for people who wanted to do it over the phone. And for a long time, I'm like, no, no, that's like, I don't, you know, because I sort of feel like you like to get interesting people. You like to get people who have a unique background and a unique take on it. But at the end of the day, if I have to, I can get the neighbor's gardener in here and we can have a phenomenal podcast because everybody's got a story to tell. 
But of course, Corona has sort of forced things into, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a new dimension of having to think and having to deal with this. So hopefully at some point in time down the road, we can do this again in person. But yeah. again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, anything you want to say in closing? No, thanks for having me on. And I'm, I'm happy to, um, you know, to get you outside of your box and get you <laughs> doing these things virtually. Um, I feel, I feel like we were able to connect and I agree. And you can always get more things done together. We're going to have to like, as a country start to like, what are the things that we have to get together for? I'm spe- I'm specifically talking about like business meetings, like how can we connect? How can we best do all of these things while in these periods? So I'm glad that we're able to get something done and be able to take some action while being so far away. Cause you and I have been trying to get together since like last summer. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. I think we first started talking about this back in like June or July Yeah. and it kept being like, well, one of these times things will line up. One of these times it's like, you know what? It's COVID time. Let's just, let's just let's zoom the hell it. out of this thing. <laughs> I love that you have a podcast and that you're doing it. And I hope to, you know, see so many more episodes though. So I'm really, it's been really cool seeing you, you know, you're not a, like podcasting when you get into it is just so complex there's all these different parts to it and you think it's going to be so easy and it's there's I mean there's a lot that goes into it so it's been awesome to watch your journey and to see you know how it's it looks like really very professional I love it fake it till you make it man that's all there is to it (laughs) yeah once again Shannon thank you so much um wish you and your family well and uh I'm sure we will talk to you again soon all righty thank you thank you All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning into the podcast and giving it a listen. Uh, Hopefully you found it interesting and insightful. I know I certainly did just having the conversation with Shannon. Um, Again, if you could go check out our sponsor, Black Star Woodcrafts, of both Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Give my buddy Scott a holler. Tell him I said hi and uh, see what you can get from him. Also, uh, if you could do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you are listening to this via iTunes, Right up there in the corner is the thing to give us a rating. If you give us a five-star, give me a five-star rating, I should say, provided you think I earned it. Um, I guarantee you every little bit of that goes a long way. So thank you all very much, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks.